Good morning, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and um, we started a new sermon series um, that should run about four to five weeks through the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, the prophet, lived sometime between 609 and 586 B.C. And his world, his people, his society was out of control. And these were no ordinary people and no ordinary society. We, we know from the scripture this was the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah. These were God's chosen people, God's covenant people, acting like they had no God, home training. And I am sure as God's people began to fall away from their beliefs and godly behavior that, that outsiders in the land begin to mix and, and become prominent, joining in the immorality, and I would guess even leading people away from God's truth. This prophecy before you is the ancient version of our modern-day media circus, where if someone does something wrong or if there needs to be justice for a police shooting, a domestic violence by somebody, beheadings or some kind of political misdeeds, you will get it full force, right? TV, internet, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, phone, email. Bad news travels fast. And judgment on that bad news by the talking heads and texters and tweeters even faster. The Bible says here in the first verse that this is the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, which means that God was, was doing and, and communicating something and that Habakkuk was the Instagram, right? He was the smartphone camera. He was the, the Twitter complete with pic. And, and what we, he saw, he put in this book for you and me to see. And what we see is what we always see. Obvious, evil behavior caught on prophetic film, along with what I would describe as a questionable, controversial response and judgment or no response to it by the one who should be in control, God himself. Sound familiar to what is going on in, in the news? The, the struggle between what is going on in the world, what, what God has said and doing about it or not doing about it and said he's doing about it is called theodicy. It is justifying God's actions and presence and judgments in a world where there is evil and bad things happening to people. It is the exercise of theodicy to come with minds and hearts like Habakkuk, uh, concerned that things are, are getting no better, even though something, even, even God up there is supposed to be doing something, right? And, and he isn't. It is theodicy to come with what Habakkuk asks in verse 2 through 4, saying, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? A cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. It is theodicy for God to answer and theodicy for us to wrestle and be arrested by God's answer. We believers or not. 
do this all the time in our lives, especially when something bad happens to us or or to people we love and respect and and people we consider innocent. Most of us didn't even know it had a big fancy word for it, theodicy. You can impress your friends this week. This morning I had a real theodicy. They'd be wondering what's wrong with you. But whether we are full believers or agnostic or even reluctant atheist, the questions of evil and pain and suffering and ungodliness and wrong in a world in our lives with a God who is good force us to make some serious decisions about what and why and how we will believe or not believe in the God of the Bible. So representative of those of us who have to face our personal or societal or familial theodicies. Habakkuk is thrust and pulled into a vision, the Bible tells us. It's a God Omnimax, a, a God 3D oracle. He, God literally allows him to see what is going on. You know what it's like? I would describe it as, 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 as going to a movie or a performance desiring something, right? You choose a movie based on what you want to feel. You go in there thinking, I went to a comedy today not to cry, but I want to laugh. I go to a horror movie today because I want to be afraid. I go to an adventure movie because I want to be taken somewhere incredible. Well, here it comes Habakkuk with these, this troubled heart, and God says, let me take you where you or your heart is hurting and yearning, and let me give you an answer for what you are looking for. With that in mind, God opens the curtains and turns the lights on in a very dark place for Habakkuk and people like him. And God answers with expectant, answers his expectant heart, and now ours. And this is what we see in this and hope you see today. That first of all, God allows us to see brokenness. God allows us to see brokenness. That secondly, God also at the same time prevents us from seeing all of his actions. And finally, that God shows us that he has a divine handle on evil. I've learned that if you want to start a conversation with anyone, especially if you want to start one of those spiritual God conversations, controversial conversations with anyone, you can start with something like this. You know, things just ain't right in the world. You know somebody going to say, they sure ain't. Now, they may say, you ain't right in the world or the way you say it, but they know something's not right, or, or people just don't know how to act these days. Stuff's just crazy these days. And the reason for that is that God has given each human being, even the most immoral person in some area, even they would miss a lot of other areas, in some area or in some way, the ability to see that and when things are not right. And like Habakkuk, I I would say that it's God's grace to us that we are allowed, without visionary prophetic powers, of course, but nevertheless, to see what and that things are not right. 
things are not what they should be. It's supposed to be. People aren't supposed to act this way. Society should respond to it this way. Look at what he's feeling and saying to himself and hearing others around him say, once again, let's read verse 2 through 4. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous so justice goes forth perverted. We all see it and feel it, don't we? Silence and non-action or slow action for injustice and violence that goes unchecked and grows, that the law is not able to do what it needs to do because of politics or red tape, that the wicked, the slick, the powerful, mean people in our lives and world seem to get away with things and they bully the world with their anger and arrogance and unchecked control, and that justice just can't be trusted to be just in our world depending on your circumstance. It's Gotham City. Everybody is dirty and guilty, and there's not a lot of lights on the street corner. There doesn't seem to be a place or way to get clean. And like Ferguson, Missouri shows, just one instance from a people with a history of being oppressed and unanswered and surrounded and and impoverished who live with fear and violence, the boiling pot has run over. The pressure cooker can't hold, and through the prophet Habakkuk, an exclamation of frustration and disappointment explodes, but not out into the streets but up towards heaven. Up to heaven because this complaint, his complaint, his disappointment is not just with how bad things have gotten to him or for him and others, but more so how disappointed he is with God. He knows probably like you and I do because we know ourselves that people get unruly and can get off the chain and loose, but he is surprised, if you will, that God is not holding that chain and is not ruling and is not putting a chokehold on these fools and their foolishness. In Habakkuk's estimation, God is more at question than people because it was God who said, Don't kill, don't steal, don't bully, don't abuse, don't hate each other. So his complaint goes a step further, asking not only what's wrong with people, but what's wrong with you, God? What's up with God that he has yet to answer our pain due to violence towards us or our mistreatment or our fear to live down here because someone might do us wrong or the way we're being mishandled in our relationships and the way our world is just wasting away? What's wrong with you, God, that you have yet to act and make a difference, especially since you made a promise to be our God and be our redeemer and be our deliverer and be our Lord? But the kicker, is the prophet here is probably feeling more than he may realize. Because what he's experiencing is just a small piece of what God himself is feeling and thinking. See, this, is, this complaint we see here, we always want to make it about the human being complaining, but, but God does something to this. He, he flips it on us, right? So this is not primarily and just about God's people being disappointed and violated and treated unjustly and ignored, but God's disappointment too. This is a prophetic 
complaint. Habakkuk may think he's just experiencing his disappointment, but it is God who is speaking through him to reveal, to reveal God's feeling in the fact that these are God's very words, or the words that Habakkuk uses in, in, in verses 2 through 4. We see these same sort of words used by God when he talks about his people. In fact, let's go back and read it. I'm going to do my own translation, okay? Don't tell nobody important. Pastor Brown just rewrote the Bible. No, I didn't. I just paraphrased. What if God were to complain with Habakkuk's words? Like, this, 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 okay, we have this complaint from this prophet because he's experienced these things, but what is he really revealing? Okay, let's read it from God's perspective. Oh, my people, how long shall I offer you help and you not take it? Or tell you about my peace and salvation and you not accept it? Why, as your holy God, do you make me have to see your evil and adulterous ways towards me? How can your evil, how, how can you look at me, a powerful, holy, loving God, and it not matter to you? When you ignore and don't give me your full attention, I promise you that it would bring destruction and violence and strife and contention will arise. All the things I promised wouldn't come on you if you had kept my law. So now because of your continual sin, you are numb towards my commandments and you can't hear my voice anymore. You have become unruly and lost and now innocent people around you will get hurt and you will grow more and more evil morally and numerically. How long have I put up with this and how much longer should I give you mercy and not just kill you all? That's God's complaint. So he's like, I can understand. I'm with you. There's a reason you're a prophet. There's a reason why your complaint's in the word of God. I don't put complaints in my Bible unless I feel it too. This is my complaint. I guess what I want you and us to recognize is that the bad and disappointment and frustration you feel about this world and your relationships and lack of justice is not just yours. It is not selfish and shouldn't be. It is just a small corner allowed by God for you to see what he sees. For you to hear that, that he, what he does, if you and I see and feel it, it is only because God has first and has by his grace let us see and know it and not be numb to it ourselves. In fact, many of us are not disappointed and frustrated enough. If you were really frustrated at the evil in this world, I think your prayer life would be a little different. If you were really upset and frustrated at the evil in this world, I promise you the TV wouldn't be on as much. Promise you we wouldn't be entertaining ourselves to death. We're not frustrated enough for the lack of God's actions and people's inactions to turn to God because we don't take with us and have yet to look through the divine glasses of God's view on it. I mean, you think it's bad because you think it's bad? You have no idea. You and I can't even begin to comprehend and embrace just how bad it is for us and others who have to live and keep living with this pain until we see what and how God sees and feels it too or see what God has given us to see with him. It's like putting on the 3D glasses, but D for divine because he is offering us a divine perspective as long as we're not selfish and only human-centered about how we see evil. 
So your disappointment and frustration, not just with God, right? But with the relationship, with the redemption that God is promising. Guess what? It's right. You should be disappointed. You should be frustrated. The things haven't worked out yet. The things haven't been solved yet because people are so evil. It's what Martin Luther King Jr. called divine dissatisfaction and disappointment and frustration. And that is okay only if we recognize that we are just in, in a general or even more specifically like Habakkuk meditating and mediating rather and experiencing and seeing what God has given us to see. When you feel frustrated and you see evil going on, you know what you should do? Thank you, God, for letting me. I mean, Lord, you've shown me this. Now what? Instead of you getting in a competition, an anger match with God, how about joining up with the frustration your Lord must feel too? But it's not only God's grace to allow us to see brokenness. It's God's grace to prevent us from seeing all his actions and plans in our disappointment and pain. Why is it God's grace that you don't know how and why and when God's going to deal with what's wrong in your life? Because you cannot handle and could not handle the how and what of all his plans and actions. So God finally answers Habakkuk and says this. I'm just going to read verse 5. Look among the nations. And see, wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Do you see why he won't tell you all his plans? Simply put, God is answering Habakkuk's personal and representative others cry for help, relief, justice, and righteousness. But they can't see his actions, not because he's not acting on their behalf, not because he's scared of evil, but because he has prevented them from seeing it until now for their own good, because they could not handle how he was addressing their issues at the time. By telling them to see, Scripture says, see and wonder and be astounded. Those words, he is saying, when you see my plans, if you were to see them like you're about to, it will turn your brains to jello, right? You will have a comprehension trying to make sense of the thing meltdown. Words like wonder and astonish here mean it's going to paralyze your human ability to know what to do next. And even worse, it's saying. You would not believe if God showed you what and the how of what he is currently doing for the future and present issues you see and feel and know. Let me make clear, because we read this real quick. You know, if, if I showed you, you would not believe what, what you're going to see. And it's kind of, you know, we kind of take it in a lighthearted kind of Hollywood way. Like, I can't believe we lost or I can't believe we won not what it's saying. It's a little heavier than that. He's saying, if you saw how, from a human perspective, and what I am going to save and deliver and rescue and bring judgment upon the evil from its beginning, my beginning plans to the end, you will not be able, or it would be that much harder for you to actually believe in me. 
right? You will not be able to trust me or be faithful to me for that long as you contemplate how and what I'm going to do to deal with the brokenness of your life. You would what? Cast judgment on me and yourself, and eventually you would not be able to handle what I'm showing you I am doing. You would walk away from the faith, possibly, if you really knew what God was doing. This is God-pay-level knowledge. For the most part, I consider myself fairly patriotic and all. You know, I like watching those espionage movies, the born identity and all that. Even some Shonda Grimes, Grimes stuff. My wife liked watching the, uh, what's that thing? Scandal. Yeah. It's scandalous. It used to be kind of more espionage. Now it's just scandal. Okay. But 24, yeah, you know what I'm saying. You watch these movies, and especially if you watch these espionage movies, and it says, based on a true story, or based on true events. It could be one true event, still based on it. And I wonder, do I really want to know what President Obama and his staff really know that it takes to keep us safe? When I watch those espionage shows, I'm like, I do not want to know. You know what I want to do? Sleep. <laughs> I want to sleep, but I want to be able to say, supersize that, right? I, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't want to have to worry. I just want to worry, wonder whether they got my order right. I, I don't have to worry about all this stuff. I want to worry whether my cable's going to skip. I, I don't want to have to worry about who they killed and what time of night they did it and whether they're going to say, yeah, we did it, or no, we didn't, or who they gave arms to until it, it comes out, then I worry. What's wrong with our country? What kind of place do we live in? You know, I don't want to know. Or I may be tempted to move to Canada. Or say something to someone. Think if I knew the plans. I got to look in that book Obama looked in, right? That you know with the top secret book. Man, the commandos would be all over me, man. You know I can't keep quiet. I use it as a sermon illustration, you know? It was like Obama sent those secret people. Oh my gosh, I wasn't supposed to say that. Somebody be dropping out the sky. Right? It, 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 I might lose faith in America's righteousness if, you know, if there was such a thing. I'm just kind of using this as an illustration. I might lose faith in America's righteousness instead of just living in its freedoms and goodness. If God showed you all of what, how, and when, because in verse 5 it says, in your days, right, that you are going to see this thing happen in your lives. That's soon, you know. If, if God were to show you how he was dealing with the problem of evil and injustice in your world, you would not be able as a human to live in the freedom and goodness and faith that God has given you as a child and not a holy parent to live in. It's how we have to shield our kids from good things we are doing and doing for them because they don't need to know or handle the burdens of being a mother or a father or it might crush them. Get this. God sees and is disappointed with the same stuff you are and is working, but he has hidden it, much of his plan from us, until just the right time, or else we would lose the very faith and trust to be his children if we knew or if we had to bear the divine burden. But bottom line, 
God is working in your day. That means now on your stuff, in this broken world, right now for something coming or immediate and in the next life to come beyond this one. But God is not deaf or dumb or numb. He is bl- or blind or silent to us. He is moving and in stealth loving manner, tiptoeing while we rest and sleep with our hopes to not startle or wake us until it's time. But he is tucking us in and looking on us with love and concern, but the darkness is his, and the resting in him to act, to know all of how or what is ours. So what and how and why can we trust God in this theodicy in a broken and painful, frustrating and evil world? God shows us that he has a handle on evil. You see, the prophet's first complaint had it in it the feeling that God was not in control anymore, that he had lost the handle. I believe that if he could, Habakkuk could have just known that evil was not in control, but God was in control, it would have helped him to hold on and trust on a little better. God wants us to know in the darkness of our days and knowledge and being able to see where you can't see him acting in the shadows, that he is in control because he alone can completely and divinely handle evil. Now, going back to the first verses, that lack of control and fear by, by Habakkuk is that, that the people are looking for God's help. Those who are crying violence and being violated and abused and seeing justice perverted cannot handle evil, right? They can't control it in their own power. Evil is too powerful for them. It is surrounding them, as he says. It's, has, it is destroying them with power, and they can't take control of it. They can't, in their power, push it back and destroy it. They can no longer handle the degree of evil around them. But God has an interesting way. Oh, when I read this passage, it's going to cause a lot of questions, but we'll get to it. Has an interesting way of convincing us that he can handle evil that we can't, but yet we see. Look at verses 5 through 11. We're going to read this. Look among the nations and one and see and wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. For behold, I am raising up Chaldeans, Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own, they are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their hopes are swifter than lepers, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They, They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at the rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. How does God let Habakkuk know he can handle evil? He's telling Habakkuk, I am going to take the most evil, unruly, vicious, godless, powerful, violent army and nation to bring down and redeem your perverted situation. God is going to raise up and already has raised up the Chaldeans, soon to be known as the Babylonians, to cleanse and judge evil. He's going to raise up evil to cleanse and judge evil. Okay, we'll get more. Okay, 
I'm not getting into why God would use evil to judge evil for his good people. That's the second complaint. We'll get into that next week. The description is interesting, though. These are like the orcs in Lord of the Rings. You saw them things when things came out the fire? You ain't seen Lord of the Rings go and just look at the orcs. Man, them things are nasty. If you in the way, head off. You know, they just keep going. They after somebody. They want that ring, right? They want Frodo. They don't care if you in the way. If you in the way, they'll burn you, run over you with them horse wolf things. I mean, they, they coming after you. When he says they are bitter and hasty, it means they don't think before they act cruelly. They are animalistic. They are nonstop in their hunger to dominate. They make the rules they see fit as they go. They, make, they may decide to rape, pillage, burn, decapitate, and put on stakes and eat people at, their moment, at the moment. There are no rules of war for them. They're completely undisciplined in their concern for people, people's property, or their morals, but absolutely disciplined, according to verse 11, to just being stronger and showing they can and should dominate you. God is showing Habakkuk that he is walking the dog. A red zone pit bull. A ravenous, rabicious, bloodthirsty beast towards them and is going to let it loose to sick them. And for God to do this means this. God has evil on a leash. This is good news. I know it doesn't sound like it right now. God has evil on a leash. That God has undisciplined and uncontrollable, fearful to us evil, disciplined and under control by him to do what he wants with it. And he is so good and so God that he can handle evil and make it bark and bite and sit and roll over and chase the global ball and bring nations back in its mouth to him. You and I cannot handle evil and brokenness in our lives and world. If we try, it will bite us and destroy us. Our timing is off. We are weak or we will bow to it ourselves. I had a red zone dog once, got it from the rescue. We were doing good. I lived in a neighborhood where you wanted an evil dog. Hey, Mr. Brown, your dog bite? I don't know, I just wouldn't go back there with him. Because you know you try to break into my house. Tell your cousin, your uncle, everybody on the street. Does your dog bite? If I were you, I wouldn't go back there, you know. I wouldn't come in the house when he in there either. I, I don't know, man. He, he's tricky. <laughs> I was halfway fine with his protective judgment dog behavior that went after the bad people. But when he bit me one day, first of all, I punched him in the face. He didn't do anything, but <laughs> anyway, don't call animal control on me. But I can't serve as much time as Michael Vick, let me tell you. But anyway. I had to have someone else in control. So do we call the animal control? And they came with that long pole with that thing. Hate to say it, my poor dog was on death row. But, man, whenever you bring dog illustrations in a sermon, it's amazing how much you get a lot more time for hurting an animal than you do a person. Y'all get all sad. But anyway, the Lord has a leash. He has a choke collar. 
his handle in the evil glove, right? Not the evil glove himself, but he is so powerful that he can grip it with his purposes and shape it to do and stop doing what he wants for our good and his glory. I mean, look back at the descriptions of the Babylon army. God is raised up to deal with the stuff Habakkuk is concerned about. It is very much, now hear me, I'll be careful with this. It is very much like God himself, and that is no accident. I'm going to teach y'all a little something. We're going to teach just for a minute. I know we're at the end, but we're going to hang in there. Verse 6, they march over the breadth of the earth. They are everywhere and can go everywhere like God. Verse 7, those words dreaded and fearsome are used to describe in other passages in the Bible how we should feel before God. Then look at fly like eagles description in verse 8. Now that bird is probably better translated as a vulture or griffin vulture beats, but God is described in his abilities as an eagle with wings. In verse 9, it talks about captives like the sand. Remember God said that he would make Abraham and his people and take them on as his people and they would be who, who would be as many as the sand? And then in verse 10, when it says that the Babylonians scoff and laugh at the kings who say they can stop them. Psalm 2 in describing God says the exact same thing about God coming that God scoffs and laughs at the kings who say they can stop him. And then when it says here that no fortress can stop them, remember God in Jericho that no fortress will stand in God's people's way because of God going before them and giving them the city? And then in the final verse, verse 11, when it says that they are like the wind and their might is their God, God is described as the holy wind going where and going where he wants and nothing can stop him. Let me be careful here. When I say this, evil is controlled by God and moves for and like God as God controls it for his purposes. Why? Because evil has been conquered by God so much so that it does what and as he wants and as he's planned. This army has, God must be in control all over. God not only can handle evil, he is handling evil. Contrary to what you may see or experience, evil is not in control or out of control. It is wrong to say things are out of control. Out of control for you. Out of control in your mind. But the scripture says the most evil, unruly situation, which is that army here, is under God's control. So much so that it even looks like God when it works, meaning it works with this divine backing to it. Because God is so in control of evil that he can make it work for his good. Now that's control that you and I don't know. But we have to trust in. If he, if, if he can handle and put his indelible power, the den of his sovereignty in the Babylonian army, to turn and look towards him as the Lord over it, he's got to be in control of all you see and feel and paid for and in and can't be powerful over and in yourself. Victim out there, sufferer that you are, stranger to things, finally work it out. Those done unjustly, those with eyes and hearts hungry to see justice finally done. God is the Lord over all that is evil, seen and unseen, already happened, happening, and will happen. So much so that at midnight, in your midnight, when things look the darkest and the most unlike God or like God is unavailable, when things look devoid and appear that is void of God in violence and violation at those moments, you can cry out 
darkness. He is in the middle of the violence. He is on top of the injustice, right? Though I can't see him, though I can't feel it, every time I see injustice, every time I see evil, every time I see violence rise up, I know there is a Lord and God that rises and has risen above and over it, working in and over and through it to bring it down and bring me and you and our suffering world up. God is handling it. How and why and when is not ours. But the Lord's and the hope of the Lord is yours. The Lord that can handle evil is yours if you trust Christ, his prophet. Do you know what it looked like when people saw the day Jesus was hung by an evil nation? By the demands of God's fallen people hung on and in and with evil looking like sin and death? God looked like evil on the cross. He looked worse than the Babylonian army looked here because he bore the world's violence on his body. It looked like God had given up. The world and injustice had won. But in the dark place of God's divine and perfect light, God was always in control with a handle on evil to work it out for your good, to deliver and save a world of broken and fallen and desperate and hurting people. Today, if you see things not right and you can't, don't turn to Jesus. You cry and cry out in selfish, lonely futility. You will never be able to defeat evil. And you'll never be able to trust God to do so. With Jesus, you can find hope. Because you and I will finally be able to see what God has made for us to see. That we live in a world of sin, but that he is a savior and Lord over all sin. And I'll struggle. Just ask you, do you see not only what I see, but do you see what the Lord sees? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we continually struggle with the problem of evil, of injustice, of things not working right, with people getting away with stuff.